Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we've discussed a number of things about how relationships are important and how we need to grow with each other to be able to grow in relationships. And that's essentially the the concept that we've articulated a lot over the episodes of this cast, but particularly in the last month or so. And what I wanted to dive into is something that I think is, it's definitely something I've experienced. I believe it's a human nature in general thing. And this is a concept that I'm learning more as I'm having a son and, and being forced to go through this, which is, so much of our learning, or at least my learning, was just kind of implied that you would figure it out. Now, obviously, there's some book stuff. Two plus two is four. You know, Hitler was in charge of Germany in World War Two. You know, there, there's some basic stuff that you learn from books. But in terms of being able to grow and develop, I think that a lot of it was just like, you will figure it out as you go, which trial and error is a great method of learning. There's an entire element of science that would not exist because of that. But where I'm coming from is the standpoint of trying to make everything efficient is, is that the best way? And particularly when we're talking about developing relationships that can, you know, be different for each person is that the best way to go about it? And how does the church essentially teach us how to teach our children and or other people how to create better relationships? Um, yeah, that's a, a great question, Joe. You're, uh, you know, you're observing what philosophers call epistemology, uh, the way of learning. <clears throat> we, we learn in certain ways and, there are things that we learn uh, inductively from experiences, and then we extrapolate a conclusion. There are things that we learn deductively, and we get some uh, information, and then we apply it to different situations. Um, you know, and and uh, and then there are things that we learn experimentally or experientially. And you're right; science, as modern science, is the uh, field in which experiments, uh, testing different theories and trying them out and getting data in concrete situations is the way that we derive certain in insights and we get uh, repeatable experiments and, and universalizable. And anyway, so, um, and that's kind of what we do in relationships, although it's really a combination of all of those things. There's also a certain intuitive learning um, we're actually made for relationships. We don't need to be convinced of this. We we want to speak, mm -hmm. and speaking comes only out of relationships. Nobody teaches himself to speak. We hear sounds, and we pick up meanings, and we put things together, and we have an urge to do that. It's why when a child doesn't speak by age three or four, we start to get concerned. You know, something else is going on, and we recognize that as a <clears throat> something abnormal that needs to be you know, looked at, there are different reasons for that. But but we, uh, as a human race, in our human nature, we have an urge to relate. And there are 
I think it's a, there's a little bit of fuzziness around the reality of these studies, but nobody argues the fact that a child with no human contact will simply die, even if all of the food is kind of placed in front of the child or whatever, that without any human contact, the child will simply die. We, we actually have such a deep need for human relationships. So I just say all of that, there's, a, there's an intuitive dimension that doesn't need to be taught or even kind of experimentally discovered, but we intuit a certain level, we're, we're made for trust, we're born open, and it's we kind of learn distrust. And trust is really the currency that's necessary for human relationships. We we, we need to be able to relate. We need to be able to trust another, the, uh, the, the kinds of things that someone is teaching us or showing us or revealing to us. And that's why lying, dishonesty is so absolutely destructive for relationships. It, it simply destroys trust. And it, it certainly, it simply interferes with, uh, with relationships. So, uh, you, you know, uh, we, we get a lot of that as we're, as we're growing. Um, uh, and, and we, we develop that through, through our experience. Um, and, and, you know, we're, and we help. So as, as parents, you know, one of the things, obviously the, the first relationship that your son is developing is with his mother living inside mm-hmm. of her and then kind of through her with you, and then in many ways, she continues to present your son to you and you obviously develop your own relationship with him. And then you and your wife present your son to the world and you help him to relate to the world and particular relationships, probably your parents and siblings and some of those family relationships are the, are the foundational ones. And you're always kind of moderating and you're <clears throat> making sure you're providing healthy relationships. So you're not exposing him to... <clears throat> you know, serial killers and, and pathological liars. And, you know, as much as you are aware that any of uh, anybody might be that, um, you're, you're providing the most healthy relationships for your son to, to grow in. And then you're helping him to kind of process his experience when, you know, a lot of times children are confused because of that openness and trust when they're betrayed by somebody that they think they ought to be able to trust a, mm-hmm. a, a parent or a sibling or a, you know, an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent. And so then you're in a position to help him process that. Like, well, what did that mean? And how did that feel? And, and what do you learn from that? And how do you do that differently? And, and so even our relationship skills grow and get worked out in relationship <laughs> with, with someone else that we can process and, and work through these kinds of things. So, um, so it's not merely trial and error in the sense that we don't have anything to build on or any starting point. It's kind of like a, um, oh, there's a there's a certain kind of modeling and statistics. Uh, and the name's not going to come to me. It'll come back. But uh, where you have to have the you have to kind of have a guess to start with that's close, and and then you can kind of track it against reality. And, and it'll narrow down onto the truth from there. And with relationships, it's like that. We have sort of a guess that's close <laughs> to start with. And then we keep shaping that according to different individual relationships and, and how to live through those things. And then we can gain wisdom from past generations. We can gain wisdom certainly from uh, divine revelation. 
And, and there are certain pr principles that we work in. What's the aim of a relationship? Uh, it's not exploitation. It's not using the other person. It's, it's charity. It's love. Uh, forming relationships that are growing in love to look more like divine relationships. It gives us something to aim at in our relationships so that we can evaluate it's going well, it's not going well. And so all of those things are necessary for us even to do the kinds of on-the-job training that you were describing, the trial and error of, of living those relationships out and, and uh, growing through them. And as you went there, a, a thought had occurred to me that if you don't have distrust, you don't have all these extra layers you have to go through of, of extra energy of trying to learn what's the hidden meaning and all that. And that's one of the things that our religion teaches us that you don't ever have to have distrust with God. He is going to be constant right. and, and sinless. So that was a kind of an aside from what I was, was thinking there, but it was a, a thought that hit me that I wanted to, to share. So as we're discussing how we're learning and, and one of the things that I had thought about in preparation for how do we think is kind of the basic questions that we're told we're taught when we're young. Early, I think it was probably third grade or so. The who, what, why, where, when, and how. The those hmm. six questions, and I started kind of just thinking about them in the sense that you know what is the action that you know, people discuss who is obviously the people that are involved or the groups involved. And, you know, you can go through all, how is the logistics of, of it happening when and where pretty self-explanatory. And what I've kind of thought and come along with is this thought of this distrust that you were mentioning there is it used to be when we were discussing activities or actions we focused on the what. What happened, black and white. And it has seemed, at least maybe this is me growing up and it's always been this way, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that in the modern way of information being articulated, what is becoming less the primary issue and more so the who. So we can just put someone into a group and not think about it. And I try to blatantly articulate this because it seems to me that that's how you sow distrust. You try to just blame someone and then the next time you think about a group, you will have this predisposition towards it regardless of whether the actions are lining up with the predisposition that is getting painted for you. And I know that from our previous discussions that we kind of have to make these prejudgments and just be able to function. You know, we just have to have some pre-basic thought process in line. But how often do we go back to revisit them as we discussed in a, about two episodes ago? And I wanted to kind of talk about first introducing that concept that now we're focusing more upon the who's and sometimes the where rather than the what happened. And we do that with almost every facet of life when in reality, I think the most important question that we should be asking and it's oftentimes 
one of the last couple is why did this happen? And I think that the whys teach us the true patterns. And as I go through and edit these episodes as I do, the why seems to be the thing we discuss the most with Jesus and God. You know, why did Jesus choose to do this or choose to do that? And it's just something that dawned on me. It might be kind of inconsequential and he might just say, Joe, you're going down a rabbit hole that's completely irrelevant. Stop wasting our time. And if that's the case, that's the case. But I really do think that there's something there that we we don't really dwell upon the the what's as much, but why Jesus and God chose to do this. You know, infinite power, he didn't have to deal with us. You know, he doesn't have to come down and do with this or have to have a relationship with us. And the reason I'm I'm focusing on this particular point is I really think that why, the question why, is how we truly grow and create better relationships. So again, Father, that's just kind of my observations. I might be completely off base there and or it could be irrelevant. I don't want to discount that as a possibility, but I wanted to (laughs) present that to you here because you normally have great insights on these types of questions I have. Yeah, well, I think your your observation about those different question words, which uh, I think we learned, you know, reporters ask those kinds of questions and need to focus on the uh, the data and reporters should probably get a little less into the why and leave their opinions to their self and report more on the what, when, how, where questions. And sometimes we can move too quickly to the why and then that influences the other questions, what, where, how, when, because if we've already determined the why, and that's kind of what you were saying about sowing seeds of distrust, Joe, we, we blame, we ascribe motives to other people. We say this person hurt me because they hate me. And then everything I read is through that lens of this person hates me, you know, and that's why they didn't wave to me. That's why they didn't say hi to me. That's why they didn't reply to my email. That's why, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe it was actually because they just didn't notice and they were preoccupied with something else. We don't actually know other people's motives. We Sometimes we don't even know our own motives. Uh, it takes work to even look into our own hearts and ask some of those why questions of uh, why we're doing certain things. So uh, we have to hold all of that. We, we have just a, a limited view on reality. Uh, our view on reality has certain limitations, I should say. And, uh, and so we have to hold all of that a little bit loosely and, and we get a fuller view on reality when we look at it together. Uh, many eyes give us uh, a little more clarity as we filter things through our own uh, interior lenses and, and uh, maps of, of meaning. So uh, all of that's important. And then, uh, you know, a little like you were saying, I just wanted to comment on the, your observation about distrust and sowing seeds of distrust. Um, you know, blaming is certainly one way we do that. Ascribing motives to people that they may or may not have is another we we end up sowing seeds of distrust. Sometimes we we cultivate a healthy distrust. You know, I mean, you'll 
you'll teach your son at some point, like don't talk to strangers or some variant of that. And of course, that has to be contextualized. Some strangers are very nice and some strangers aren't. And so you kind of overcompensate in order to keep him safe from the, the bad strangers. And you let him slowly discover who the good strangers are. And then he just de- de- you know, develops his own inner capacity to discern those things and ultimately enough freedom and responsibility to make some of those decisions for himself. But, you know, we're always, we're, we're trying to help uh, to, to create a, a lens on the world that's going to keep people from being damaged long enough that they can uh, figure some things out for themselves and then really grow in relationships, which again are really necessary. So relationships are not a kind of um, a, a burden that if we could just figure out how to do everything for ourselves, we'd be better off. In, in many ways, relationships are the point in life. God is himself relationship. When we look at the model in eternity from which we were made in his image and likeness, he is from all eternity relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is not like, you know, being able to walk is a means to an end. And if we could fly or if we could be in a wheelchair because we didn't have any legs, we could do without walking. Um, It's a convenience and it's helpful relationships are not like walking relationships are like breathing they're like our heart beating they're they're absolutely essential for life not just in a utilitarian or instrumental way but in a fundamental way because it's constitutive of who we are as human beings we are relational and so uh learning how to develop relationships is is just absolutely essential for uh, for growth and fulfillment for all eternity. It's not like we ever graduate from relationships. I, I don't know what walking looks like in heaven <laughs> or how any of that works. I don't know if there's walking in heaven, but there certainly is relationship in heaven. Heaven is primarily relationship. Maybe it's exclusively relationship. Um, so just to say all of that that we develop, which which is a lot of hard work, you know, the navigating all of the trust and distrust and betrayal and wounds and healing and forgiveness and reconciliation and uh, and and intimacy and self revelation and self sacrifice and all of this stuff that's so essential to our Christian faith. I mean, the the fundamental uh, virtue of of charity, of course, is is all about relationship. You can't be charitable towards a tree. Uh, charity applies to the human beings, willing the good of the other and and sacrificing oneself for that good. And, and so really at the heart of who we are and certainly at the heart of our faith is, is the importance of, uh, of relationships and, and growing in relationships and learning from and, and developing more divine, divinely inspired and, and divinely oriented relationships. And as we go through that, we can make ourselves easier to be in a relationship or harder to be in a relationship. And I think that's something that most people don't even think about. You know, if you're going to catch a, or, you know, attempt to catch a pass, it makes yourself easier to present yourself as a open target to have a ball thrown at you rather than putting a car or a tree or something in front of you that makes it harder for it to get to you. And, I bring that initial thought up because when you were starting in the beginning by having people having this attitude, which we all have had before, like, 
oh, that person just doesn't like me. That's why they ignore me or whatever. And they try to make it so personal about ourselves because that's, we are ourselves. It's kind of easy to do that. What I have found is it kind of doesn't matter whether it was you, someone else or someone else. It doesn't really matter. That person was in their own little world and going to probably do the same thing regardless. They're not singling you out for any specific thing about you. And I think that this notion that people feel slighted all the time and then try to blame it on a group characteristic is very dangerous. But I think it all stems from the same thing that we're talking about here. And not being open to more relationship. Because to me, looking as someone was trying to snub me because I'm a guy or because of whatever reason, is looking for reasons to sow distrust, looking for reasons to hinder relationship and all of that. When if we would just step back and look and go, was it really had anything to do with me or is this just the way the situation would have gone regardless of who was involved? I think that that's something that can make us more open to being better recipients to love in relationships and just something that has been gnawing on me for a, a while. I didn't figure out how to articulate that new episode, but I'm glad that it just kind of fell out here. So father, we have about, three or five minutes left here. I wanted to give you a chance to, to bring it home and, and conclude this episode. Well, well, I think you make a great point, Joe, in saying that uh, we, we don't have control over other people. Uh, we can't make someone uh, warmer or fuzzier or uh, more pointed or closer or less distant or whatever. Um, we can invite, we can attract, we can, uh, open doors. We can uh, change ourselves. We can't even fully change ourselves, but at least we can partially change ourselves in order to make ourselves more safe, available, trustworthy, open, gentle, compassionate, curious, interested, available, you know, we can, we can change, we can lower our walls, we can let down our weapons, and we can invite uh, steps toward greater trust. There's a reason we have weapons and walls, and they're not evil. We do need to protect ourselves from different things and at different times. But uh, we can also be intentional about that. We can know what our weapons and our walls are, and we can also try to let them down, invite people in. We can make ourselves more uh, attractive and trustworthy and, and, and help to draw people out of themselves and help them to lower their walls and let down their weapons. And we can grow in relationship. We can be ready to admit our own faults and to forgive and to ask for forgiveness. And those are ways that we really grow in relationship. Um, and, you know, times also that we have to be uh, challenging, firm, but we can do that also in ch charitable, humble, and even gentle ways. And, and all of that is, is becoming more Christ-like fundamentally. You know, all of the things that we've talked about in terms of the, 
the virtues and growing in the faith and bringing things into prayer and all of that comes out in uh, ultimately in relationships. So yeah, you make a great point. Let's, uh, let's work on what we can work on, which is primarily ourselves, be aware of what's going on inside of us and the kinds of defenses that come up and the kinds of preconceptions that we have and the kinds of judgments that we place on people intentionally or unintentionally. And just try to be more aware of that so that we can be more intentional about that so that we can cultivate better relationships. And to also add to that point, to also forgiving on that list. You know, if something negative is happening to you, it's probably not that guy doesn't like you. It's probably just an oversight or something like that. Most people are not fundamentally evil. We've discussed that many times. And Mm. to have forgiveness, to never let it get to the point within your own mind that they're targeting me because of X, Y, or whatever, I think is a very important still to instill within ourselves. So we thank everyone for listening and we will be with you again next week.